a time of preparation for your heart and for your soul to feast on the Lord and what he has for you uh, this morning. And, and that's our challenge. That, that is our goal. That, that is my goal to, this morning again, just to push you to Christ, to, to let you see and encourage you to see him in all of his beauty and all of his wonder. And it is still the Christmas season. I hope that you guys had a great Christmas season with family and friends because this is a special time of year. And so uh, for the last time, you know, Merry Christmas to you guys. And I hope that we can continue this mindset and this spirit into the next year. Amen. It's hard to believe that today is the last Sunday of the year. Why does it feel like it just started? It's crazy. Yet another year has passed and we're all another year older. (laughs) I don't know if that whistle's good or bad. Oh, it's bad. All right. You know, it's true what they say. Time only speeds up the older you get. As a kid, I thought the opposite. To me, life was slow, uneventful, and stress-free. But boy, was I wrong. Not only has another year passed, but we're also at the end of another decade. Another 10 years has passed. 10 years. And man, that's a lot of time. It's a lot of history, and it makes you think, or at least makes me think, and it makes me want to reminisce and reflect on on things of the past. So what's happened over the past 10 years? Let's remind ourselves of a few things from 2010 to the end of 2019. How about in sports? The world welcomed Usain Bolt, one of the fastest, if not the fastest man to date, Burst onto the scene in the 2012 and 2016 Olympics. A native from Jamaica, Bolt became the definition of human speed. He holds world records in several areas, but one in particular that caught my attention was he holds a record in the 100-meter dash at running it at just 9.58 seconds. I think that's fast. (laughs) I don't know. I've never done it. (laughs) What about the Chicago Cubs? Any Cubs fans in here? All right. <laughs> they were at once the laughing stock of the MLB. It was over 100 years since the Cubs last won their title, and their last title was back in 1908, a long time ago. But then it happened. 2016 was the year, and for my good friend Dave Pappendorf, the Cubs won a world championship. In one of the most dramatic World Series I've ever seen, the Cubs prevailed over the Cleveland Indians in a seven-game World Series. It was awesome. I loved it. I didn't miss any game. I didn't miss a game. So we got Usain Bolt, Chicago Cubs, and the Dark Empire, the New England Patriots, not Alabama Crimson Tide. The New England Patriots, the dark empire in my view, have arguably been one of the greatest franchises ever, and arguably the greatest franchises this past decade. Led by Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, the Patriots literally dominated the last 10 years, reaching an unbelievable five Super Bowls and winning three of them. And for us Falcons fans, we like to forget 2017. And that's just in sports, right? What about pop culture? Here are a few things. 2011, we witnessed a marriage between a royal and Kate Middleton. 
Prince William and Kate Middleton got married. And according to Forbes, there were over 23 million Americans alone watching this wedding. And I was one of them. And then again, there was another royal wedding in 2018 with Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. What about streaming services? Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Video, and Disney Plus are all available for your entertainment. While cable is still an option, the world of streaming devices has literally taken over. You name it, they have it. You're only one click away. And for $7.99 a month, you can subscribe to Disney Plus and enjoy season one of The Mandalorian. Some other Honorable mention, social media explodes, YouTube evolves. There was once an iPhone 4. Can you believe that? And now there's an iPhone 11. There were taxis, but now we have Uber and Lyft. There were hotels, and they're still around, but now why, why not enjoy an Airbnb? Other highlights to, to call to, rem- to memory was back in 2011, Osama bin Laden was killed by U.S. forces. Next, in 2012, Hurricane Sandy, the deadliest hurricane in American history, hit our nation. Then in 2013, there was, a, there was the Boston Marathon bombing, a tragedy that struck the world. Next, Jeff Bezos launches the Amazon Echo in 2014. In 2015, one of my favorite ESPN analysts dies of cancer, Stuart Scott. And 16, a reality TV star slash businessman, Donald Trump, is elected to president. (laughs) The following year, Amazon continues its world dominance in purchasing Whole Foods. And in 18, Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook are hit hard for a massive data breach and user information. Toys R Us closes its doors. That hit me hard. And Sears files for bankruptcy. And lastly, rounding out 2019, here are some highlights that at least come, come, to, come to my mind. Kanye West releases Jesus is King. Avengers Endgame becomes the highest grossing film of all time. The Instant Pot simplifies cooking. And Baby Yoda captures the hearts of many. That was for you, Lance. So while we can look back and recall some of these things to memory, we have the benefit in experiencing these things from a distance. And I think it's good. But we must not fall into the temptation thinking that these are the things that we should live for. Things that Christians should live for. Because if we do, then we've missed the true meaning of life. Think about your life. Think about your spiritual journey. Many of you in this room have been professing Christians for the past decade. Ask yourself, what has your faith been like this past year? What has it been like the past 10 years? It might be scary. Can you confidently say that you've been living in the light of the gospel for Jesus Christ this past decade? Unfortunately, And personally, I can't confidently say this. I've had my ups and downs, as many of us do. But God. God has been faithful. He's forgiven. He's shown me grace and mercy. And he's challenged me to think and reflect upon my life year after year since 2013. 
And I believe that I can confidently say that since then, at least in my heart, I believe the mindset and the intentionality and living for Jesus has changed. Because I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to be a fool thinking that I am only a Christian on one day of the week, that being just Sunday. It's more than that. I want my life to count for Christ. I want your life to count for Christ because this is what life is truly all about. And what does this mean? It means you give your life to Jesus every second of every day, year after year, for his gospel. Christian, are you wasting your life away, living for the things of this world? Does your spiritual life feel empty or stale? If you're a visitor with us this morning, or if you're a member of this church, my plea is, I'm begging you, hear the gospel message, come to the end of yourself, and recognize the only way to live is for Christ. Because in reality, Christian, this is the way. So for this morning, we're going to learn from Paul about having a mindset and how to live this life. You know, Paul was convinced that his life was no longer his own. He passionately believed that Jesus is the treasure. And that his gospel, Jesus' gospel, is the hope for this lost and dying world. It truly does. The gospel truly does transform people from every tribe, every nation, and every tongue. And so with this in mind, please turn with me to 2 Corinthians 4. We're going to look at the Apostle Paul and learn about three perspectives that influence his way of living his life for Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, and we're going to be reading from verses 7 to the end of the chapter. 2 Corinthians 4. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body of death of Jesus, so that in the life of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And with that in mind, let us pray. Our Father, and our most Gracious God, Lord, we love you only because you first loved us. And we are here 
Father. People assembled from all walks of life coming to hear you and your son, Jesus, and his gospel. And so, Father, again, we are calling on you to send the power of the Holy Spirit to impact our lives. If our faith is stale this morning, Father, give us a dose of your power and your spirit to to remind us of who we are in Christ, to call us back into a deep love and commitment to you. We need this, God. Kill off our idols. Kill off our fleshly desires. Kill off the things that are taking our, our attention and focus away from you. And Lord, for the one who does not know you, or for the one that thinks they know you, God, and they don't know you, challenge their heart now. Help them to desire Christ above all things and nothing else because you are the treasure and you are the king. In Jesus' most holy and precious name that we pray, amen. You know, Paul invested much time at Corinth. According to one scholar, David Garland says this, Corinth was a strategic city in spreading the gospel message. Due to its geographical location, Corinth was an attractive city for all kinds of people, business, and religion practice. Garland continues, many inhabitants of Corinth were prosperous, and wealth was ostentatious. It's a big word. Became the hallmark of Corinth. But many, and also many other inhabitants were also impoverished. So there's a spectrum of great wealth and great need. Corinth was a city of promise, and any church planner or pastor would be crazy to not take an opportunity to do ministry there in this city. If you remember, Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth had a particular focus and a tone. While the first letter was filled with with pastoral rebuke and correction for the church's tolerance and practice of different sins, this letter 2 Corinthians is is much different. The letter is mostly about Paul defending his ministry and teaching the church that suffering and living in weakness are normal experiences in the Christian life. 2 Corinthians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies of God and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction or in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by who? By God. Garland summarized 2 Corinthians in this way. This letter is not just a personal defense of the apostle. It is a restatement of the basic doctrine of the cross, which Paul preached to them in 1 Corinthians. And so we return back to our text. There are three perspectives that that I want to encourage you with in in viewing what Paul is teaching us today. Because you need this, Christian. You need a mindset change. We need a mindset change. It's easy for us to self-indulge and enjoy our own kingdoms and our own life. But there's something different that Paul offers. And the first perspective is this. We are to live as jars of clay, found in verses 7 through 9. Verse 7 follows a brief discourse from Paul concerning his ministry and his defense of it. He ends the prior section by reminding the reader of the real prize in life, which is simply this, knowing King Jesus. 
So when you come across the word treasure in verse 7, Paul's description and use for it comes from this understanding, this fundamental understanding that the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ is the greatest treasure in the world. And there is nothing else in comparison to it. And that's interesting. It is really interesting because remember, Corinth is a prosperous city at this time. It is booming economically. It's financially succeeding in many, many ways. But here's the temptation. The temptation is to be drawn to the things of the world versus the things of God. Have you ever been there before? Has the love of money or the pursuit of worldly passions ever tempted you to cheat on your faith a little bit? What are you investing your time in? What are you investing your energy into? Is it to earn more money, build bigger barns? Or is it to build the kingdom of God? You know, Paul, he's not interested in being financially secure, though though we know when we read in, in, in these two letters that Paul does go to work here as well. He takes time and opportunity to to work hard as as a tent maker in this city because the opportunity was there. But he doesn't invest in that forever. Instead, he invests in something else. He invests in knowing Jesus Christ. And it's part of his passion to have the church, to have the same mindset as well and live in this particular way. Because this is, this is the truth. The Christian life is not glorious. But according to Paul, it is worth it for Christ. And going back to verse 7, there, there's an interesting but specific metaphor that Paul uses in describing the Christian life. Did you see that? He, he, he talks about or he uses this, this, this idea of jars of clay. And this image should cause a reader to pause and to consider why Paul would use this metaphor here. It's interesting. You know, the design and make and use of pottery was, was common during uh, Greco-Roman times. Depending on what you wanted to make, a pot could be beautifully designed. It could be treasured, and it could be costly for an individual. But Paul has something in mind here, something else, something else in mind here. In the original language, the phrase jars of clay literally means anything but glorious. Lifeless states this, in a literal sense, jars of clay is not only, only describing that it's only made of clay, but it's fragile and it's frail. Another commentator states this, it implies, that something, it implies something inferior and expendable in reference back to jars of clay. It's not pretty. It's not glamorous. It's simple. Paul uses this imagery to give his readers another way in understanding the life of the minister of a gospel and the life of many Christians. The purpose of the jars of clay is found at the end of verse 7. It's to show the surpassing power of God. Of God, not us. We're not God. We're not the focus. We're supposed to be in the background. Jars of clay were just regular jars. They were cheap. They were small, inexpensive, and honestly unimportant to many Greco-Romans. 
There's a paradox in what Paul is saying here. And one can understand what he's saying in this way. The power of the gospel is on display through weak jars of clay. The wisdom of the gospel is on display in how God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the seemingly wise. The grace of God is on display in the frailty of human flesh that God redeems and uses for his purposes in spreading his gospel message. That's, that's, that's different. And it's powerful. Jars of clay in God's use and in God's world do this. They represent so much more. But it is a shift. It's a perspective shift. The life of ministry and living out the Christian life, man, it is difficult. It is so difficult. There are times where I have wanted to quit. I have. Life didn't make sense. I feel like I was being betrayed. I feel like, God, you're attacking me. Whereas that's not, that's not it. The, the, the evil one was planting seeds in my mind because the Christian life is full of difficulty. Maybe you're there. Some of you have faced similar attacks that, that Paul has faced. You've been mistreated. You've been neglected. You've been ignored. But if you are in Christ, then you know your worth does not come from the perspective of this world. It comes from value, valuing Jesus and Jesus alone. And it comes from being valued by him. In verses 8 and 9, Paul gives us a four-fold description of what, this look like, of what this looks like. And listen to it. Listen to the simplicity of it. But also the, 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 the expectations that we all should have. Number one, afflicted in every way, but not crush. Perplex, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. And lastly, struck down, but not destroyed. Is that not the, the description of the apostle's life? I'll tell you this. If, if God signed me up to live the life that Paul lived, I don't know if I could say yes. I want to. I want, and I believe that God put me in a situation. I believe his spirit will carry me through. But this brother lived in suffering, in anguish, and in despair. But you know what was on display every step of the way? The power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. The hope of the gospel. The love of God. And we have beautiful letters from the Apostle Paul. That comes from a confident hope and assurance that Jesus will deliver. He will provide. So we have to ask ourselves, what are we willing to endure? How far will we go for the cross, for the cause of Jesus Christ? Are we willing to die for our, are we willing to die to ourselves and live for him? Because remember, Jesus tells us this in the Gospel of Matthew. The way of the cross is death. 
Matthew 10, 38. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Penetrating words. Dying to self is part of the Christian walk. It's part of the sanctification process that purifies the believer in conforming to the image of Christ. James 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials of uh, different kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So we need this. Yes, we need this. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for this reminder because sometimes we want to push away the difficulties in this life. We want to quit the trials and the weaknesses and the sufferings that we experience are actually part of the refining process. They are what draws us closer to the almighty God because he hears the cry of his children and he never leaves you and he never forsakes you. Paul knows this, and he reminds the church at Corinth and to us today, he knew God was with him. He saw him. He felt him. God led him in specific situations where Paul could have been destroyed, but God protected him. Indestructible is a Christian in the will of God. So Christians, understand that suffering, pain, it's part of our life. It's part of your identity in Christ. It's what draws you closer to him. And that's the first perspective. The second one found in verses 10 through 15. Living to die and dying to live for the sake of the gospel. We see this in verse 10. The language of death is common in the apostles' teaching. He's obviously learned this from Jesus. Paul's learned that in order for him to live, he must die. And he believes, he believes this. And he applies this. And he sees that, that the teachings of Christ really are powerful. And trusting in him powerfully displays the gospel through him, who Paul identifies as a jar of clay. Paul's learned that the cost of following Jesus is the way of the cross, meaning death. While death is final for the Christian, there is a slow death that leads to life. Paul uses two words to describe describe death here in this section. The first is mentioned in verse 10, which communicates the slow process of dying. We get the word necrosis from it. And then in verse 11, the second death is found in following. And that death there communicates final death or, or the end of life. So why does Paul use two words to communicate death here? I think Paul wants us to understand a twofold way of dying to self. First, there is a process of dying to self. Jesus tells the disciples and the crowds, if you want to follow him, you first have to die. 
which means you have to begin by killing your flesh, your will, your desires, and your kingdoms and your preferences. Galatians 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans 8, verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The process of dying is the killing of your sin, your flesh, and your desires in preference of the way of King Jesus. The Spirit empowers, it transforms, and it conforms you to being like him. And what this means, at least for us in this passage, is that you accept being a jar of clay and solely live for the purpose of demonstrating the awesome power of God to everyone around you. The suffering Paul experiences puts the power of God on display. And for, fortunately for us, we've seen it. We've seen it happen here in our church. I think about the Wilkes. Kelly has mentioned time after time again. Of course, she is weak. Of course, this family is weak. But they are seeing the power of God on display. It doesn't mean that they don't struggle. It doesn't mean that they are not suffering. What it does mean that God is bringing them to an end of themselves to trust in him fully. And you see it. You've read it, church. It is encouraging that a Christian believes this about Jesus. And they see It is for their benefit and for the gospel good. Well, what about Miss Harriet? She's like my Mimi here. Miss Harriet, recently when we visited with her, she mentioned several things, but two things in particular came to mind that that really struck me. And I'll say this. We need the Wilkes. We need Miss Harriet. We need people who go through situations like this to give us or, or to personify what it means to persevere. Church, I need this. You need this. You need to see the power of God on display through people's lives. Miss Harriet, she, she challenged me with this. She says she wants to finish well. And the second thing that caught my attention was that this, is, this, this suffering that I'm going through It's nothing in comparison to what King Jesus did for me. I believe that. And I have to believe that. And you have to believe that, Christian. The hope for any Christian in suffering is knowing this truth, persevering, trusting, and believing in God and his gospel. In spite of the pain, it is worth it. Preferring the power of God over your life is worth it. If the only thing that keeps you from falling away from God is a deep love and a passion and commitment to him, I think then you understand what Paul is teaching. Or at least I think you really believe what you are professing to believe. If Jesus is who he says he is and his gospel is life, then I, or rather we, should trust him completely with our lives. This means I can trust King Jesus with my suffering because the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 12, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. 
For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content. I, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The apostle Paul personifies a life for us that is deeply committed to Jesus. And man, is it powerful. It's powerful because it pushes me to be like Christ. Man, I struggle. I struggle with people not liking me. I struggle with things getting hard in this world. I struggle with my body. I'm out of shape. There's so many things that are wrong in my life. I'm frail. I complain. I feel like ministry is completely crazy at times. (laughs) It is literally the hardest thing I have ever done in my life. I want to go back to the simplicity of life when I was a kid and everything was stress-free. That's my flesh speaking. But then I look back, and my favorite IMB video reminds me that it's for people. It's for the name of Jesus. And that everything we are going through is for a particular purpose. It is to show the power of God. Death and misery are therefore not boundless. Life prevails, but it is life of Jesus Despite the overwhelming tribulations that we go through, or what Paul went through, he's not overwhelmed. The same divine power that raised Jesus from the grave is at work in Paul. He's continually being renewed every day. But although this renewal, it's it's interesting, right? This renewal sometimes is invisible to some. Now, I'm different. I'm like, Paul, I want people to see. (laughs) I'm prideful in so many ways. But this renewal is invisible. You get to share in the sufferings of Christ, Paul, and it's for a particular purpose. Do you want to put the power of God on display? Do you want to show the world, the lost and dying world, that God is worth it? then show them what it means to cling to Christ when you're going through one of the darkest storms in your life. And so far, we've we've come across two perspectives in living for Christ. And that turns us to the last one. Living in the future hope of eternity, found in verses 16 through 18. The hope that Paul has, the hope that the Christian has is that the grave of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is empty. The crucified Messiah who bled and died was triumphantly raised from the grave. Luke 24, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. 1 Corinthians 15, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received 
that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The cornerstone of Paul's faith was the resurrection of the Messiah. The apostle had built, had built his entire ministry in knowing that the father raised King Jesus from the grave after he died on a bloody cross. Without the resurrection of Jesus, there is no hope. There is no power. There is no confidence at all. But that's not the case. There is hope. Jesus victoriously was resurrected from the grave and the hope that Paul has is a reality, Christian. It's real. It's not a myth. And so this gives meaning for Paul. It gives meaning for his suffering. It gives meaning for your suffering. And here's a word of encouragement. The suffering that you are going through, you know, it's only for a season. It honestly is only for a season and it's not forever. So you continue, you persevere, you endure. That's your hope. God's not going to give you something that you can't handle. He's going to empower you. He's going to keep you. And he's going to show you. You can trust him. Did you know that because Jesus was resurrected, sin no longer has a curse over you? Did you know that because Jesus was resurrected, that his life is now your life and that his death is your death? If you are in Christ, you are forever connected to him and to the Father and to the power of the Holy Spirit. There is no discouragement from Paul when he's teaching the church here. He is not discouraged. In fact, he is, he is displaying a confident hope in Christ. So don't lose heart. Don't take your eyes off the prize. Cling to Jesus and trust him no matter what you're going through, no matter how difficult of a season of life you are going through. He is there. He is right beside you. He is with you always and will be forevermore. Do not focus on the flesh, but focus on the spirit. And in closing this section, Paul Paul gives us a comparison of a a paradox, of of a dichotomy that we're supposed to understand, understanding the physical with the spiritual. Though the outward man is wasting away, the inward man is not. He's being renewed. This affliction that we're going through is, is momentary in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that is before you. There are things that are seen, but we need to live for the things that are unseen. This world is not our home. And so I challenge you, stop getting comfortable with it. Heaven is your future if you are in Christ. Seek after the things above. Isn't that what Jesus told his, his disciples in the crowds? Seek after the things above versus the things in this world. Garland continues and states, as one's outward life conforms to the life of the crucified Christ, his inward life conforms all the more closely to the glorified Christ. 
Don't be like many professing Christians during Paul's time who did not want to separate their life from the things of the world. There are many Christians in Corinth who were carnal. You heard about them in the first letter. Don't be like them. Reject the false comforts of this world. Kill your sin. Live for the hope of eternity and fixate your eyes on Jesus and his gospel and you'll find something greater living for than yourself. These are perspectives that we need. That we need to adopt. So we need to live as jars of clay. Simple, unimportant, behind the scene, fragile lives that accept that, 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 that accepts that. We need, we need to live to die to ourselves and, and, die, and die in living for the gospel. We, we need to live in the hope of eternity. And if we can grasp this, Christian, I promise you a transformation will take place. Your desires will start to shift. You'll seek after the things of God versus the things of man. And you'll slowly start to understand what Paul has learned from Jesus. And so how do we respond? I'd like to challenge you with with seven resolutions for the next year that will hopefully develop into a lifestyle for the next decade. And they're simple. And I believe they're timeless. Number one, read and know the scriptures. Invest into a Bible reading plan for next year. For some of us, that might be a good thing. I've used machines before, and I loved it. I've done my own before, and it was not good. But reading the Bible is an important investment. But for some of us, it might not, you might not be able to read the entire Bible for the year, and that's Okay. One of my favorite professors, Jarvis Williams, told me this. Instead of reading the Bible the entire year, he focused on one book. And he read it over and over and over. And I did that two years ago. I read Mark over and over and over. And that might be you. Read and know the scriptures. Another thing that you can do, possibly, is is do a character study of a person of faith who suffered for Jesus. How about study Paul? In his life. Invest your time and energy in understanding what suffering means and how it affected Paul and his relationship with Jesus. Number two, spend more time in prayer personally and with others. Pray the scriptures. Join us on Wednesdays if you're not in the women's study and help us as we are learning through a series of prayer from, from the Apostle Paul. Share your prayer requests with each other, intercede for one another. Don't put it to the side. Commit to being a community of people who live out their faith through prayer. Number three, share your story and share the story of the gospel to a lost and dying world. It is powerful. It is so powerful. You don't have to worry. You don't have to you know, manipulate the situation or the conversation. Just tell them about Jesus. And what he has done. Number four, for many of us, we, we, we're working class church. View your job as a mission field. Let the way you live and the way you suffer point others to Christ. 
and show them it's worth it. Number five, be involved in disciple making. For many of us, that means identifying a mature Christian and ask them to disciple you. Go after them. Ask, hey, I need your help in understanding how to be more committed to Christ. That is okay. That's a good thing. And those of you who are mature, seek out those who, who need to, to develop in their life. We don't need to stay as babies in our faith with Jesus. Let's mature. Let's desire the, the, the meat that Paul talks about. Because you're going to need it. The, the Christian life, again, we talk, is not easy. And so when difficulties come, you can stand like the Apostle Paul. Number six, uh, this probably is a personal one here, go on a mission trip. Either an international one or a domestic one. See a different culture. Hear a different language. Love the nations as Christ loved the nations. And number seven, see your suffering as God's plan to display his power in your life in spite of your weakness. You know, being a jar of clay is okay. And accepting that metaphor from the Apostle Paul, it doesn't mean that you're worthless. What it means is that you value the treasure of knowing Christ and you accept everything that happens in his world and you understand, you know what, difficulties will come, but my God's going to take care of me. I'm just a jar of clay doing my job, displaying the power of Christ to a lost and dying world. And if we cling to that, I guarantee you, we'll live a life of humility. So with this in mind, church, please join me in prayer as we'll close and reflect. Let's think about what Paul is teaching us. Paul is an example of what a committed Christian looks like. And you cannot doubt that this brother loves Jesus more than his own life. I mean, isn't that powerful? I want to be that kind of guy. I want to be that kind of follower of Christ who is willing to lay down everything, including my own life, to follow him. And I pray that that, that is your prayer. I pray that is your desire. And if it's not, then, then let's talk about it. Let, let's confess our sins before God and ask him to help us because maybe, maybe there, there are some things in your life that you need just to chip away. That you need God to take out of your life to help you focus more on him. And if that's the case, that is okay. We can pray with you. We have, we, have, um, we have some volunteers in the back that can pray with you. I'll pray with you. The leadership here will pray with you. Because we want you to know that serving and loving and trusting King Jesus is worth it. Famous poem says this, only one life, yes, only one life. Now let me say that will be done. And when at last I'll hear the calls, I know I'll say "Twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And our Father, we love you because you first loved us. And we thank you for your gospel. We thank you for Christ. And God, we thank you for your word which challenges and pierces our hearts. So work in us now, Father. You're working right now in the lives of someone in this room. 
So, Father, we, we ask you to protect them from the evil one. But we are asking you to, to encourage this individual to respond, to, to ask questions, to seek after you the greatest treasure that the world has ever seen. 